Welcome to Roots Radio, weekly high school Bible studies located at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. And this morning we are going to be in John chapter 8, verses 48 through the rest of the chapter and chapter 9. So let us pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning time to just to dedicate to you, to worship you, to hear from you. And, and God, we pray that you would speak to us now in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you, um, through your word, might uh, be manifest and brought to light. God, we pray that you would be seen very clearly as to who you are. And, and Jesus, that would change our heart. It would change our life. It would change how we live each day as we get a clearer picture of who you are. And so, uh, God, we ask that you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, last week we kind of entered into a section of Scripture known as the Great Conflict. So chapter 7 through 11 um, is a very um, conflicting area of Scripture in the sense that Jesus is being attacked or questioned by the religious leaders. And so there's a lot of argument, there's a lot of... um, contention in these chapters. And last week, we looked at a phrase or, or something that Jesus said. That's kind of what we honed in on, which was chapter 8, verse 21. And Jesus says, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I, where I go, you cannot come. And we looked at the difference of John chapter 8 verse 20 or yeah John chapter 8 verse 21 and the contrast of John chapter 14 verse 2 which is where I go or where I'm going I'm going there to prepare a place for you that where I go you may be also and the difference between someone who is trying to earn salvation by a a set of rules or works based upon someone who comes by faith Jesus says you'll die in your sin there's no amount of good that we could do to offset the sin that we've committed and no matter what we try and, and try and balance out our good works with our bad, the odds are, and obviously Jesus is making the point, you'll die in those sins unless you come by faith unto Jesus and receive forgiveness of your sin. And the religious leaders make a, a lot of, they're just coming at him and coming at him. And we got to the end of, of verse 47, and this morning we'll be picking up in verse 48. And there's another conflict, and Jesus is going to point out Again, who he is. The whole point of the Gospel of John is what? What is the whole theme? Yeah, Jesus, his immortality, that he is in fact God, his deity, who he is in in God in flesh, his incarnation, if you will. So that's the whole theme. That's the whole point. Jesus is not performing miracles because he's bored. And he's just like, I need something to do. And so this seems like fun. There is a point and a purpose in which he is doing things, in which he's healing people. There is a moment that he's living for and working towards and living towards. And that is death upon the cross. And so everything that Jesus is doing is looking towards that moment and with the purpose of revealing who he is. Everything that he's doing is to reveal who he is to those who would see and believe in what he, in who he is and in his deity. Verse 48 it says, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Verse 48 starts out with trash talk. This is biblical trash talk. They just called him a Samaritan. That's like saying, 
your hair is bad. I don't know. It, it's worse than that. We're in church. It, it got incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're talking trash on each other. And this is the Samaritan, or these are the religious leaders of the time. They're saying, do we not say rightly? Are we not right in, in saying that you are, number one, a Samaritan, and number two, you're demon-possessed? <laughs> this is Jesus that they're speaking to. They called him a Samaritan, and to be a Samaritan would to insinuate that he is preaching heresy. That what he is saying is actually heretical, and he is a dog. They considered the Samaritan people just dogs, lowly. If they had to travel anywhere near Samaria, they would go around Samaria. Nowhere near it. They wouldn't want to touch them, go near them, have anything to do with them, because they were Jews that had bred with, with, um, with Gentiles, and they had created this race of people that were like half-breeds. So they're like, uh-uh, we're not, uh-uh, no, no, we don't associate with them. And that's who they call Jesus. You're a, you're a dog. And you're demon-possessed. That's just, I mean, they're, they're hitting him in a, just, that is insulting. Insulting. It would be as if they spit in his face, which they'll later do. But they're doing it with their words at this point. You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. And Jesus answered and said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. What Jesus just proclaimed here is that if anyone who believes in him, he has the power to give them life. Only God has the ability to do that. Only God has the ability to give someone life or, or to give life and to escape death. That is a, a character trait that is reserved only for God. And so when Jesus says, if, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. And they said, you got to be kidding me. It, not only is Abraham's word or, or Moses and all these people, we're keeping their word. And, and you're saying you're claiming to be better or bigger or higher than these two guys. Abraham was the patriarch of the Jews. I mean, he, he was the father of the Jewish nation. Out of him came the people called the Jews. Israel came from Abraham. And, not, and Moses was the deliverer of Israel out of Egypt. Those two guys were like their... They're very special people. I mean, they just held them in a high regard. It would be like if you wanted to be on someone's team, you wanted to be on Abraham's team. If you're going to have a mascot, you would choose the Abrahams. It was just this, this, in their society, these two men were huge in the mind of the Jews. And they say to him, are you greater than, sorry, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets who are dead, who do you make yourself out to be? They continue to ask him and prod at him, who are you claiming to be? And he has already told them that if you do not, if you do not come unto me, you're going to die in your sin. He talks about his crucifixion, that he would die. He talked about him being the truth, that if anyone believes in him, that the truth shall set them free, abiding in his word. He continues to show them who he is. And the characteristics that only God possesses, Jesus is making himself equal to be or equal with God. And therefore creating or making himself God himself. 
He's saying, I'm equal. We are on the same level. And they're continuing to ask him, are you really saying what we think you're saying? And there are a lot of times where people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He was a good teacher. He was like this hippie who just loved everyone. That's not exactly, um, no, no, that no. Jesus is about to make a claim here in these verses that directly describe who he is and who he came as, who he claimed to be. They make a, a statement. You think that you're greater than Abraham and better than the prophets who are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? So that's their question to him. Verse 54, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Oh, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. What? Abraham at this point had been dead for, for a couple hundred years or more at this point. So how did Abraham long to see his day and see his day? In every step that Jesus brought or every step that God brought Abraham through, he saw a picture of Jesus to come. When he saw Melchizedek, who came out, who was king and priest, it was a picture of Christophany, a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Every time that, that Moses was brought into a different place, that God would call him out and separate him, all of these things that God did in Abraham's life was a picture of Jesus who was to come. And, and, and what, uh, what Jesus is saying is that Abraham longed to see my day. He knew that the Messiah was coming and that I was the one who was going to be there. He longed to see me. And that's what they begin to say. How can you, you're not 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? How do you even know, who, how did you see Abraham? How do you even have a connection with him? And here's what Jesus is about to say. If you have not highlighted this in your Bible or underlined it in your Bible, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <clears throat> I mean, if you notice, you look in your Bible, that word am is capitalized. Capitalized, capitalized. It's been a rough weekend. He was, it's capitalized. How many of you, when you're writing, you ever capitalize I am? Unless you're texting, you're like, I am so angry, and it's all caps, and like, oh, I'm so, we never really capitalize am. What Jesus is proclaiming here, and it could literally be translated, before Abraham ever existed, I am meaning I have always existed. That is the same I am, that is the same word in Greek as it is in Hebrew in the book of Exodus, where Moses says, who should I tell, if the people don't believe me that I've come to deliver them, who should I tell them is sending me? And, and God tells him, you tell them that the I am has sent you, that you are under my authority. The I am, the great I am. We sing songs all about it all the time. The great I am. Who is that? It is God. Jesus says before Abraham ever existed, I am. And, and the reason we know that Jesus is claiming to be God is their reaction. Look what they do in verse 59. They then took up stones and to throw at him. They realize what he's saying. He's saying before Abraham ever existed, I have always existed. 
he's claiming eternal existence, something that is only characterized by God. Only God has always existed, correct? Yes, God has always existed. He is, he was, is, and forever will be. Jesus claims to be ever existent here. And you think, if he wasn't claiming to be God, then why are they so upset? If he's not claiming to be God, then why pick up stones to throw at him? If he's just a lunatic, you gotta just throw him in a loony bin. But they pick up rocks to kill him with these rocks because of who he is claiming to be. He's saying, I am the great I am. When creation was spoken into existence, all things were created by me, through me, in me. He had a part in creation. He's, he's claiming to be God, to be equal with God. The Bible tells us that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he set aside his glory for a time that he might come and, and put on flesh and be killed, that he might rise again. Jesus claims here, and their reaction show us that he is claiming and is God. So not only does he make the claim, he's about to prove who he is in chapter 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus is passing through the city, and there's a guy who's been blind ever since he was born. And the disciples ask a really interesting question. They ask, so who sinned? Was it him? Or was it his parents? Why, they ask this question, why did this happen to this individual? Have you ever asked that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do horrible things happen to innocent people? Why, do, why does this even happen? And they're asking this question, whose sin? It has to be a result of sin. Somebody had to do something to cause this. Either it was the parents or it was, it was the kid. They believed in something called fetal sin. Like inside the womb, the baby could sin in some way. That he kicked his mom's bladder like way too hard. And just, she, there, something happened inside the womb that would cause him to be blind. And they're asking this question. It's a question that every generation has, has always asked. Why, if God is holy and pure and God is good and all-powerful, then why does he allow these types of things to happen? A baby to be born blind. Just seems like so jacked up, doesn't it? Especially when it happens to us. We wonder, why, why would God allow that? Those are always questions that come into our mind. And here's what Jesus' response is says, neither. It was neither this man nor his parents that sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus says, no one's, it's no one's sin per se. The parents didn't, it wasn't their life that caused their child. God's not punishing them because of what they did. And God's not punishing the child because of what something that he did inside the womb. We live in a world of sin. It wasn't exactly his parents' sin, but it was a sin that was brought on by, his, by all of our parents, which is Adam and Eve. That sin, when, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they disobeyed and rebelled against God, sin entered the world. And guess, the world cracked 
everything snapped. Everything that was perfect and working as, as God intended was then broken and bent and twisted. Why do we see pain and suffering in this world? No one can explain it outside of the Bible. If you were to ask anybody, why do bad things happen? Why, are there, why is there evil in the world? Outside of Scripture, there is no answer in the world, is there? You can't blame it on global warming. Everyone's just so hot. Everyone's just upset. We have no explanation for man's evilness outside of Scripture. The Bible tells us that man sinned. He disobeyed God. And when man disobeyed God, sin then entered the world and it affected everything. It affected us even on our genome level. To a cellular level, it affected everything. Where sin brought about death, decay. Everything that we see deteriorating in this world is a direct result, the Bible tells us, of sin. Now you try and explain that outside of the Bible. Where does evil come from? There's no answer. Yet it is something very real. Jesus doesn't explain why. He says, he says here, no one sinned. It's a result of sin. But it's not because of these parents or this situation that God is punishing them. It has everything to do with the world that we live in. We live in a sinful world and bad things happen because sin is still very much working and alive in this world. But it gives us a hope into what will soon be. That when Jesus comes back, listen, when Jesus comes back, he'll restore this world. He'll restore us. Sin will be abolished. Death will be gone. And everything will be perfect again. It's a day that we long for and we look to. And that is only something that can be remedied by God. It's something that we see a picture of or we have Jesus entering our heart, reviving us and, and healing us of sin. We're no longer dead in our sins and trespasses. We've, made, we've been made alive in Christ. We now have eternal life. That we, Our bodies may die, but we may never see the second death because of Jesus. We very much live with the effects of sin in our body, but we will soon never, ever, ever, ever again Feel the effects of sin when Jesus comes back. But what Jesus says here is neither is it this man's uh, parents that have sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. God's saying this is an opportunity for this person not only to see, but to also see the works of God in his life. It is an opportunity for God to work. Often our greatest microphone or God's greatest microphone into our life is pain and suffering. Often it is only when man recognizes his need that he turns to God. Prosperity has never saved anybody. It is when we are at our lowest is where we finally release control and look unto God for salvation. So often it's, it's the need. It's man recognizing that he needs God. And what, so, what Jesus is saying here is that the work of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. 
such an interesting way to heal someone. Jesus at different points, like through touch, through speech, had done things that were, were miraculous. But in this, in this case, he does something so weird. He spits into the ground, he makes clay, and then smears it like Nacho Libre, smears it on his eyes. Every time I see it, that, that's what I'm thinking. That Jesus, just this huge, nasty loogie into the ground, makes some clay, throws it in the guy's eyes, and says, go wash your eyes. I can't imagine being that guy. There's another time where Jesus actually just spit. And it's just like different ways that Jesus has, has healed. Why does he do that? He could speak it and just be like, see. And, he, and the guy could see. He could touch. But in this case, he spits in the ground. It's kind of gross. But the guy goes and he washes his eyes and he's healed. The reason Jesus healed in different ways, a lot of commentators believe, is that so people wouldn't focus on the method, but on the miracle. Not the way that it was done, but what had happened. So that man couldn't take this method and say, this is the way that it always works. God works in many different ways, doesn't he? God works in specific ways, but in many different ways. God never works... Often he doesn't work the same in in our life. He doesn't work exactly the same in your life as he's worked in my life. God works differently. His ways are higher than our ways. We don't know how he's working, but we do know that he can work. And so his method of healing was with the, the purpose of people not focusing on the method, but on the miracle itself. And so he spits in the ground and he makes clay. I think it reminds us of his humanity, that God was, in fact, God in the flesh. That when he spit and made clay, it was something that man had been made out of. You are, your body or the elements in your body are the same 18 elements that are found in topsoil. Isn't that pretty crazy? God said that he made you out of the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of life into your nostrils. You are made of dirt and you will return to dirt. Like on Lion King from uh, the antelope. And then you, you know, <laughs> we become, we, we enter back into the ground. It's just that's how your body it deteriorates. It becomes dust again. Thank you, Lord. Do you ever go to say something and God says, don't say that? And you're like, okay. That's spiritual growth right there. Here we go. He spits in the ground. He wipes it on this guy's face. And no doubt it was probably irritating. It's like irritating to have, how many of you have had dirt in your eyes? And you're like, I'm cool with it. It's automatically like you're flushing it out. There's something, ah! and it itches, and you just can't. For those that have contacts, I don't have contacts, so I don't know your struggle. But those that are like, there's a rip in it. There's something in it. And you're like, where is it? And then you can't find it. And then it's, in, it's like in your cheek crease, and you find it. You're like, hey, contact. It, there's an irritation. Much like the, the Holy Spirit will irritate and convict, and draw you to the Lord. And you're like, I don't know if you can make that correlation. That's stretching it a little bit. Deal with it. So he tells him to go and wash into the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. (laughs) It's like, it's really interesting. People are like, is that, Joe, is that you? 
I'm like, no, nah, that looks like Joe. And he's like, no, it's me. That's what that verse is saying. I went to Bible college. Um, <laughs> it's my hermeneutics class going to work right there. Hermeneutic, never mind. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Now, I don't know if you can see what's going on in these verses, but let me just explain it to you. They ask him, like, how did you get healed? Listen. And he says, Jesus put mud in my eyes, and then he told me to go wash, and I went and washed, and now I can see. And they're like, what? Where is this guy? And he's like, I don't know. Deep. <laughs> That's what it's talking about. But I want you to see something, the simplicity of the whole thing. The simplicity of the whole thing. He said, some guy named Jesus spit on the ground, made clay, wiped it in my eyes, and now I can see. Now, what had ha- this guy had never seen anything in his entire life. His entire life, he had never seen light. He had never seen anything. Can you imagine never being able to see? And suddenly your eyes are open to a whole new world. A whole new- and you can see. For the first time in your entire life, the simplicity of the whole thing, that Jesus, what did he do? He spits, he throws, all of it is a work of God. His whole life up until this point, he's been blind to everything. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and he can see. But everything that has been working up to that point, God has been working in his life. God has never forgotten him. God had never forsaken him. God had always been with him. God was waiting for a specific time and a moment and a place. And in that time, Jesus gives him sight. He can see. The simplicity for him is that he just received it. He received God's gift. He obeyed what he said, and his sight came. So many times we want to see before we'll believe. And it does not work that way. When it comes to salvation, when we believe in Jesus, you will see all that God has done. We always wanted some other way. People say, well, why doesn't God just stick his face out of the clouds and be like, I'm God? Even if people saw, they still would not believe. We walk by faith, not by sight, the Bible tells us. And when we believe, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're putting it in something that we cannot see, but you can definitely see the works of God in everyday life. We know that there's a God. There has to be. No matter what your science book tells you, there has to be a God, a creator, a designer to all of this. And what this man, I love the simplicity of it. Some guy came along, he spit in my face, or he spit on the ground, threw clay in my eyes. I washed in a pool and I can see, where is he? I don't even know. But already, he doesn't know anything, but here's what he does know, that Jesus healed him. So often, I think we feel like we have to know. I don't feel like I know enough to go out and share Jesus. Here's what you know, or what God has done in your life. Share what God has done in your life. Share what God has done in your life. That is the greatest testimony of the reality of God, that God has changed you, that God has done something in your life. That you were one way and God has changed it. You were on a path to destruction and God has changed that. You were dead spiritually and God has raised you to life. 
That is a huge miracle. You don't have to know every apologetic, inner out, tweaking, burnt, everything about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, you know, voodoo, buddhalite, or whatever. You don't need to know every religion that's out there. Here's what you need to know, and what you do know is that God has changed your life. And that testimony, that story, is such a powerful tool in the work of God. God can use your story no matter, you're like, it's not even that cool. I grew up in a Christian home, I went to a VBS, and I got saved when I was like six. And that's like your, that is the coolest testimony ever. That story can speak volumes into someone's life. That can speak of the reality of God into someone's life. Now here, here's what religion does. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, this was always something that you would do. If someone got healed, they would go to the church, they would go to the rabbis, and they would get it cleared. And he would get cleared to go back into society. A lot of times with leprosy and all of that, that's what they would do. It was a, it was a um, kind of a procedure. Ow. And now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Boom. Here's the point. Jesus did it on the Sabbath day. And they're like, he did What? He made clay? How dare he? Oh, and this is where this gets gnarly. It was the Sabbath day that Jesus made this clay. It rhymes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. Now he said, let be clear, because there's a lot of stake right now. What exactly did he do? And how did he do it? Because they're looking for a way to catch Jesus. Pharisees also asked him again, how did you receive your sight? He said to them, he put clay in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. You know what that means? Exactly what it says. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Here's how they discredit everything. This is their one card that they pull. This guy is not from God. I know he just healed someone with dirt, but listen, disobey the Sabbath. They had created all of these extra laws on top of the Sabbath day. Here's what the Sabbath day was about. God said on the seventh day, or on the Sabbath day, here's what I want you to do. Just rest. Kick it. Kick it like a cricket. Just keep, just take it easy. Relax. Just spend time with your family. Spend time in my word. Spend time in fellowship. Don't work. Take a day off. That's what God said. They had then added 600 laws on top of that as to what defined work. On the Sabbath day, if you had a donkey and your donkey fell in a hole, you left that donkey in that hole until the Sabbath day was over. Broken leg and everything, just, it's the Sabbath, sorry bro. <laughs> Hold on till morning and just, just kind of leave it there. There were so many laws on top, you could only walk so far. You could only do so much. They had added all these things on top of it, and they said, they broke, he broke our law. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man, he's not from God. How could a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because you open your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. They said, you're lying. You're, you are lying about being blind. Let's call your parents in. So they go and find his parents. They bring him before everyone. They asked him saying, is this your son? 
is this your son and was he blind from, from birth? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, verse 20, that, uh, they answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know, or opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents are, hey, he's, he's, his, he's his big boy. He can answer for himself. There was a fear at this point for his parents as to what is going to happen next. Because if they sided with Jesus, and what we're going to see in this man's life is they're going to excommunicate him. And they're going to ask the question, or the blind man's going to ask the question, who's really blind in this whole thing? Who's really the blind man in this whole scenario? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind. They said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, there's just one thing that I know, one thing, that though I was blind, now I see. He says, I don't know, I don't know anything else. Here's what I do know, that, that at what point I was blind for my entire life. And when this man came along, I can see. So say what you want about him. This guy is doing something that no one has ever done before. They said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already and do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh, no. Everyone, oh. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, as for, his, as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, li listen to this guy. This guy has been given such a platform. And what he has decided to do with it is to proclaim exactly what Jesus had done in his life. Look at what he says. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. This guy just lays it out. He says, listen, since the beginning of time, this has never, ever happened. When has this ever been like the norm of someone coming along and throwing dirt in someone's eyes and they receiving sight? If he was not from God, then he could do absolutely nothing. He could do absolutely nothing. Jesus proclaimed before Abraham ever was, I am. Only God has the power to do something like this. And what this man is proclaiming is that this work Although he may proclaim it, he proves it by what he just did. I was blind my entire life, and now I can see. I can see for the first time. They answered and said to him, you are, you are completely born in sins, and you are teaching us? And they cast him out. They taught, they believed in a fetal sin. Or that his parents were involved in his blindness in some way, shape, or form. And so they say to him, we were not born in complete and total sin like you were. And you think that you can teach us. You think you can teach us. 
and they cast him out of the synagogue. Religion is a disgusting and vile thing. And what religion is, and listen, and people are like, oh, you're, you're in that religion. Here's a religion is a work-based, a, a thing where we do a certain amount of things and we earn salvation. And what that does is blindness, blind us to the work of God. And that salvation is a total and complete work of God, saved by grace through faith. What this man is saying is, here, here's what I do know. At one point I was blind, but now I see. He uses his testimony to speak the truth into other people's lives. I was blind my entire life, and now I can see. Only God could do something like that. I was talking to a guy recently, and he um, he had gone through some struggles in his marriage and, and all these things before they had gotten saved, and they got saved, and they ended up being, now they're divorced, and just a lot of sin and a lot of just jacked up situations. And we were talking, and he said, you know, what's cool is now that we're both saved, he's like, there's this mutual respect and care for one another. But what he said, which, is, which really stuck out to me, he's like, I don't know how God could use this and redeem all of this. He said, in my life right now, he says, nothing else matters except Jesus. Nothing else matters except my walk with him. And all, he just began to talk and, and all, of, all of that. And he says, I feel like God has healed me and, and everything like that. And he, he kept saying, I don't know how God is going to use this. But here's the thing that I, I noticed is that in what world has anyone ever been divorced and had the, the situation that he experienced where he then is feeling healed and restored and there's a mutual love and respect? What he was then proving in his own words is that God has worked in his life. God has done a work in his life. He's not angry. He's not bitter. He admits that part of it was hit. It's not all her. It was me. All of that. Who, who could say that they in themselves have ever come to that realization apart from the work of God? God had done something in his life. As messed up as the situation was, God was redeeming that situation in that he then had a walk with God where before there was no walk with God. Before he was on his way to hell and now he's on his way to heaven and so is his ex-wife. Although something was so bad and broken, God restored it. Although this guy was blind, he then sees. Listen, your story, your story, and you're like, I've only lived 16 years of this life. Listen, God, has God done a work in your life? What has he done specifically in your life? It is not just for you, but it is for his glory that he might be glorified in your situation. Let's read verse 35. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when they had found him, they said to him, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Jesus is making the point, who's really blind in the situation? This guy was physically blind, yes. But now, not only is he, is he physically able to see, but spiritually he's been made well. 
and that he was blind spiritually and he, now he sees. Because of what? Because of his belief in Jesus. Because of his faith in Christ. To those who say they see, Jesus, those are the ones who are blind. To those who say, I, I got this on my own. You are blind. You're blind, Jesus would say. You don't see. Although you may be physically able to see, spiritually you're blinded. And that is the great deception of the devil. It's not that man has come to some like plateau of knowledge that he just doesn't believe in God. It's that the devil has blinded those people. That's the issue is that men are blind to their need for God. And that's the point that Jesus makes here. If you were blind, you, have, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. And if we die in our sins, if we die without the forgiveness of sins, we will be forever separated from God. Sin remains in these guys' lives. Listen, unless you are cleansed of sin by the work of Jesus, by confessing Christ as Lord and Savior, sin remains. When Jesus comes into your heart, he abolishes sin. He washes us clean of sin. He forgives us of all sin. But apart from Jesus in your heart, apart from faith in Christ, you remain in your sin and you remain blind. That's true blindness. You can see all day long, but unless you have faith in Christ, you are spiritually blind. And it's a blindness that will lead you to death and death eternally. But praise God, right? Can we end it on a high note? It, could we just praise the Lord that if you know Jesus in this room today, that you were once blind and now you see? At one point you were walking in darkness and you've been brought into light? That God has done a marvelous and wonderful work in your life? That no matter when you accepted Christ, if you're like, I was too, it doesn't matter. At one point you were dead and sin and trespasses and you have accepted Christ in your life and everything that you have done in the past, in the present, in your future sin will be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That's a great miracle. And it's something to cause great joy and, and just praise in our heart. But there are many people outside of these doors. When you walk out of this room, there are many people who are blind. And if they die in their sin, hell is their destination. It may not be the negative note, but may it cause us to go out with the intention of bringing light into the world. To shine in this dark place. That people would know Jesus. And you've been given the greatest gift of all, which is salvation. And that gift is not just for you. It is to share with others around you. We as the church, we need to share the good news of the gospel. The gospel is light. It is power. It is life into eternal. So as you leave this room today, you go out into a mission field of people that don't know Jesus who need to know Jesus. And you have what they need. So may we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. May we go out with the intention of looking of how we might share the good news with those around us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. That you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. That, Lord, we were once blind, but now we see. 
And Jesus, that is a complete and total work of your son. God, we thank you so much for saving us. And Lord, may we not be able to keep it in ourselves. May we be propelled and compelled to share the good news of the gospel with those around us. Lord, that whatever message we have, whatever story we have of what you've done, Lord, may we use that, that work that you've done in our life, may that be the, the propelling force, God, to see what you might do in other people's lives. Lord, we thank you that there is no one so far gone that you cannot save. There is no one past your grip. There's no one that is outside of the grace that you could give them. And so, Lord, help us to, to look at people as you would see them. Lord, we love you. We thank you. As we praise you this morning, as we close out today and just worship and in song, Lord, may we be filled with joy as to the fact that you came, you died, you rose again, and that by faith in you, we might have life eternal. So, God, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.